Hello and welcome to Exit the Stage Door. I am your host, Aaron Teachman, and we're back. We're back with an amazing episode. We are back with Kristen Jackson, Lauren Allen McCann, and Kirsten Bowen of Woolly Mammoth Theatre Company, and we are talking about The Arsonists by Max Frisch, one of my favorite plays by one of my favorite playwrights. I, um, as soon as I heard that they were doing this show, I uh, wanted to do this podcast episode, but as it happened, I joined briefly the production team on the show as well, so I got to see the show over and over and over again uh, as we teched the show. Um, the show opens, I believe, tonight. This is this is the 12th, so and you're going to miss out on the burn party, which we talked about in the episode, and I'm t- super sorry about that, but it currently runs through October 8th. You can check out all that information on Woolly Mammoth's website and in the show notes, along with all of the other events that are going on around the play, which is what I had these amazing people to talk about. We we're talking about dramaturgy, connectivity, and we are talking about how to create and facilitate a conversation about a play that will connect uh that play's message more deeply into the community and have a, a greater impact uh not that uh, yeah well you can we, there's no need for me to jabber on on you now in the introduction to the introduction let's just get the episode so here it is guys christian jackson lauren l mccann kirsten bowen the arsonists enjoy so how is this whole thing going to go? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm, uh, I like to say that I don't conduct interviews. I have conversations because I don't plan things like that particularly mm-hmm. well. But I think a first step would probably be to help uh, identify everyone with their voices. So we'll just have a quick introduction. Oh, I'm Kristen Jackson. I'm the Connectivity Director at Woolly Mammoth Theatre Company. Hi, I'm Lauren Ellen McCann. I'm an organizer with the Arsonists at Willie. Hi, I'm Kirsten Bowen. I'm the literary director at Willie Mammoth Theatre Company, and I'm the production dramaturg on the Arsonists. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, yeah, where to start? <laughs> um, I w- so th- you see this question all the time, especially on social media and Facebook. I'm friends with a bunch of artistic directors. Um, and, and other people who make programming decisions. And they're like, what uh, playwright wh- whose work you don't often see produced do you want to see on the stages? And my answer is always Max Frisch. Um, I usually advocate for the Chinese Wall uh, because right now the Chinese Wall is about uh, how dissent is repressed by a paranoid megalomaniac who needs his <laughs> citizenry to uh, only praise him and refuses to accept the idea that their criticism is valid and then of course the ever-present threat of nuclear war is hanging over the play so I always <laughs> start with that one but Biedermann und die Brandstifter the arsonists is the second one I go to because of its um, resonance in times like this so where uh where the atmosphere of fascism is something that you're really wanting to explore and the, the um, how do we put it? Well, the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you really want to go there. Um, so I was, when I heard, because I'm friends with a bunch of people who are doing lighting and they're like, yeah, we focused the show, like the arsonists, like, wait, what? <laughs> which, which arsonists? <laughs> and uh, I knew immediately that I wanted to talk to you guys about, uh, about the show. I contacted 
Kirsten about it um, because I have an affinity for dramaturgs in my past life. I was a dramatic studies major, so critical theory and and all of these things are uh, are my jam. That's that's where I like to go. And now we have. Uh, I'm going to let you guys talk here. I'm going to explain more about what Willie is building around the show because I think that is also very fascinating. Uh, but um, you. Kirsten were telling me earlier about uh, how Wooly decided to do this show, which I think is a, a great place for us to really d- dig in. Sure. So around this time last year, uh, July 2016, I guess, when our season planning for the next season was was starting to pick up steam, we were doing a kind of closed in-house workshop with a bunch of our company artists and uh, some some other local artists and we call these these uh, workshops company labs so workshop is probably not even really the right word for it but it's it's an opportunity for a bunch of woolly company members actors directors and, and some other local folks to just get together spend some time in a room together for a couple days and play around usually the directors bring in some texts that they're interested you in uh, playing around with that have always compelled them that they would that they think would challenge actors that would be fun and it's a it's a really no pressure environment kind of what I would describe as a project gym and one of our uh, company members Michael John Garces who is a uh, director brought this uh, uh, play The Arsonists to uh, he was asked you know what are you interested in working on and uh, he uh, so he brought this one in particular, and everyone read it and and did a, some some work with it. And the thought coming away from it was, wow, this would be an incredibly uh, relevant play and very close to home play to do right now. But it's right now, but it's not going to be relevant after November two thousand and sixteen. So. Howard Shawitz, our artistic director, brought it up in, uh, in season planning meetings, and we, we all read it, and we're like, yeah, it, it def- I mean, I read it, and I felt, oh, this, this definitely feels like this play is, is always timely, There's, um, but, but we did put it aside just because we, we thought that it, you know, it really wouldn't you know, matter much in a couple months, and, and then uh, right after uh, you know, November 9th happened, <laughs> And Howard and Michael, uh, I think the, the story goes, both sent each other emails, I think, that crossed paths, like, so do we have to do this play now? And we uh, um, kind of immediately changed course in terms of our um, season planning decisions and started to re- investigate doing The Arsonist. And there, were, there are various, I think that you alluded to, Aaron, like kind of versions of The Arsonist. It was, you know, the original title is <laughs> My German is terrible. I'm getting it all wrong. And it's been translated into English as the firebugs mm-hmm. uh, by, um, I believe it was Mordecai Gorlick is, the, uh, is his name. It's also been called the fire razors and another version by a player named, uh, by Michael Bullock. And we landed on this translation by British dramatist Alistair Beaton, which was done in 2007, first at the Royal Court in London, and has had several productions, um, you know, like 
in you know over, over here like in North America Can Canadian stage did it in 2012 it's been done at Kitchen Dog Theater in Dallas and you know several Chicago San Francisco several places yeah. all right um, so yeah <laughs> it's, uh, yeah you jinxed it around, I guess <laughs> but um, uh, in terms of and I, I want to take a quick aside because uh, your <laughs> job title is civic organizer. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, uh, which I'm not c totally familiar with. It, it does. This seems like a really great play to 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 be a part of that. But it, I'd love to uh, dig into that a little bit before we dig specifically talk about how it relates to the arsonist. I would love that, but I feel like I should throw that over to Kristen. Okay. <laughs> Since. Well, I think like I I can never bring myself to say the full title civic organizer because I also I have a little bit of allergic reaction to the word civic from my past life and past work, so I usually just say organizer. <laughs> but I think Christine would give good framing on how organizing fits into connectivity's existing orbit at Woolly, and then we can tell you specifically about the arsonist. All right. That works yeah. No, that sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, um, so connectivity is Wooly's strategy around uh, community engagement. Uh, and I like to describe uh, my work as connectivity director as partially being about deepening, uh, deepening the conversation around the shows that we produce and mobilizing those folks for whom we believe uh, a play would be particularly relevant, either personally or professionally. Um, and part of part of the way that Woolly Mammoth operates, part of the way that we select our seasons, is by first interrogating whether uh, there is a civic conversation embedded in the play. Uh, and once Kirsten has done the good work, um, that's that is sort of the the impetus for um, all of the different sort of conversations, uh, events, workshops, uh, et cetera, that we might surround a play with to create uh, some different opportunities to really dig into the material and dig into the questions being posed by the text and make connections between. Um, the kind of provocations you might find in the script and uh, what's actually happening in, in our world, in our communities, uh, in, in our relationships. Um, so that is sort of very broad strokes what connectivity is. Um, I often also get sometimes asked if I can help people with web issues. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> uh, but very broad strokes. Uh, that <laughs> geeky Wi-Fi joke. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but very broad strokes. That's the work that the Connectivity Department does. And we're super fortunate on this particular project uh, to have Lauren Allen with us um, in the role of civic organizer on The Arsonist. And part, I don't know if you now want to take take the ball and talk about what that's looked like um, for this particular project. Yeah, in addition to just fishing for compliments, um, <laughs> I, better, I, th I think it's helpful because what, is it, what does it mean to have an organizer associate with a production? Even 
um, stepping back from the arsonist in particular? I think it's is a really challenging question, um, especially for a theater like Woolly, which has both been in DC, um, and there are many DCs, but in, in DC uh, for decades. Uh, but I think there's a really interesting question about which communities Willie is part of, and then what it means to organize within those communities and outside of it. And I think it's helpful, uh, like also understanding that for for like the narrative arc of the organizing work around this production, we took what connectivity already does um, and the ways in which um, conversations happen at the end of plays and, and plays are, although the, the strategy work and conceptualization happens at the origin when we think of doing the play, like the actual community activation happens once the play's on the stage. And for this production, we thought about what it would mean to bring people into our art making process. So in, in effect, um, some of the organizing I've been doing has been with Willie staff and the artists um, of all of all sorts, as well as like community artists of all sorts, um, and seeking opportunities to change our change our art making process. Um, we had a few things that we called design jams, where both for costume design and for lighting design, we found absolutely unusual ways of bringing complete strangers together, and ended up lighting part of the first scene of the play. Yeah. Um, we also had a ridiculous drag project runway event that <laughs> I can, de you know. So it, it goes from like that level um, to creating spaces through our community reads, um, where people got to engage in a, a little bit of dramaturgy and, and mm -hmm. in analysis together, uh, and one that we stewarded with help from a community partner, Collective Action for Safe Spaces, and the incredible facilitator uh, and their ED, Jessica Raven. So some of that organizing is around the play. Um, and I think some of that organizing, I think it is important to shout out like the ways in which this is a challenge to Willie's process, too. Um, so that organizing is mm -hmm. definitely a lot of like internal work. Um, and I think there's still like, you know, like in, in being honest, there's like an open question about what it means to activate this play in community conversation, kind of going back to Kristen's initial point of um, what connectivity is here for and, and what it means to, to activate this conversation. Because I I came in so excited to this project. I, I'm an, I do organizing work, um, deep community work outside of Woolly. That's partially how I end <laughs> up here. And um, I saw the arsonist as a tool, um, even less about fascism and, and more as a way of um, without solely centering whiteness to talk about mm -hmm. toxic whiteness and white nationalism and many oppressive forces, to, um, toxic, toxic masculinity and patriarchy, capitalism, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that people like to pretend are absolutely abstract, but they're incredibly concrete so, so forms of social control that I think are very present to notice in 2017. Um, I think it's at times too easy to just <laughs> see the Trump and not see how we got yeah. Trump. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but it, it's it's hard. I, you know, I thought I came in. I'm like, we have to fucking do this. This play is gonna. Hope hope you don't mind cursing on your podcast. We don't. <laughs> <Let's> go for <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm a sailor. But you know, like this is this is a tool. Here's all these ways we can use this tool. And the reality is, like, it's uh, a tool in a really complicated context. And um, yeah, that's that's my story. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll end that monologue. But. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's actually that that fits in really. Um, it's it's what I have started to sort of want more of from a lot of the theaters that I work for. I like I in lighting and projection. I I work in a, with a bunch of theaters around the region, and one of the uh, I'm a good friend of the podcast, uh, Gavin Witt, um, mm -hmm. over at mm -hmm. Center Stage. They have this concept that they organize 
um, outreach and their literary managers around, which is where does the art start? And mm. their concept mm -hmm. is, well, it has to start way before you set foot in the theater space mm -hmm. because it is work. Um, the work of understanding and processing a play is usually not embedded in the play itself. Like you have to, pr you mm -hmm. have to prepare the ground, and you really post-show discussions can only do so much. You really want, you really want to connect the ideas that come up in the post-show discussions to something else, something more concrete, an action, a way of staying together, of, of organizing to to kind of create a community. Like it's, I mean, this is something that you read about in. Um, Benedict Anderson, I think, wrote Imagine Communities, and it's when, when you talk about nationalism, which when you study German history, you have to talk about nationalism, mm -hmm. <laughs> the kind of things about, like, communities that are not accidents. Uh, well, sometimes they're accidents, but the idea, but there is an animating idea, and if you can activate the idea, you can forge community. So, and this seems like, this having a theater, like, doing this a little bit more actively, uh, thinking about it end-to-end, -end, uh, like, organizing the artists within, and figuring out how to connect the audience to the process before before they have even set foot into the theater to tech it, that's mm -hmm. um, like it's super exciting and an accident. I was I'm, I wasn't I organized this podcast before I knew that I was going to be on the production team, but now that I have spent a week and a half with the show, I'm even more excited with what we're with what we're doing here. Um, I think. Well, uh, so let's. I think we'll get to the play itself here in a little bit or but I would love to know uh, I mean the design gyms happened ahead of time but what do we have coming up like to that that is um, the post-show discussions and, and other things beyond that so I've seen things about a burn party or I don't <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> I know that the burn party is a, a burn party for your tongue so <laughs> <laughs> If you like, it's true. If yes. you if you like, that is a literal description. Yes, a burn party for your tongue. So if you like I wasabi peas, there we go. Like, I think you're gonna come up with some like advertising, like slang, and then you're like a burn party for your tongue. And I was like, oh, it's just Kristen. Good. I got worried for a moment. <laughs> um, <Sorry>. But <laughs> but um. Uh, Speaking to you, um, so one of the things we're doing with the arts and is that we don't do for with every production um, is there is a post-show conversation or event of some sort following every single performance. Mm. Uh, we started with the first pay what you can uh, and we are just barreling forward. <laughs> um, and uh, to at least tell you a little bit more about um, uh, our community conversation model. Uh, those are facilitated post-show discussions that are less so about um, the aesthetics of the piece that you've just seen um, or like the artistic process, mm -hmm. but they're really grounded in, in creating space for audience members to engage and exchange with each other mm -hmm. uh, and really taking time to encourage folks to make connections between their own experiences and the piece. Uh, so these are being led by a variety of different people, which is super exciting, um, from both across the organization, um, but also some of our community partners uh, as well. Um, so we are 
it's an exciting way for us to also model that um, mm. uh, that we are not claiming uh, 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 we do not claim control over these sort of post-show community conversations that they are actually also a living organic thing that are being co-created in a sense uh, between us and our partners um, and also a way for us to enact uh, our our values around uh, engagement and um, having these critical conversations across the organization. Um, so those are very exciting things. Many of them are happening. Uh, <laughs> there are also um, some more structured events and workshops that are happening over the course of the run. Uh, Jessica Raven, who Lauren Allen mentioned earlier, uh, will be leading a workshop um, Jessica is the executive director of Collective Action for Safe Spaces. They have been doing amazing work with us and the artists um, throughout this process. Uh, and the workshop that they will be leading is really on um, identifying different forms of violence and oh, how interesting. And also how to intervene, um, which is the next step in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you would say in describing that particular workshop. Yeah, I think, I, and I think this is there's more attention to this work post election in like a broader, at least DC uh, mainstream norm core consciousness of like bystander intervention. Mm -hmm. So Jessica's taken that and I think expanded it to include um, some really grounding identity work and also the demonstration of um, like the practice of intervention, as Kristen just said, and also how to like ritualize it for yourself, how to figure out where your comfort zone is and um, how to break the scene. And she does, and just like to plug her work. Um, she's doing two incredible campaigns throughout DC right now, actually mm. three. Um, one is the Safe Bars Initiative. Oh. So she actually does trainings with different um, bars and dance establishments across the city. And um, it's been incredible work you should check that out also rethinking masculinity um she's she's testing a, mm. with a few other partners um community class you can guess what it's about <laughs> um it's uh for folks who are masculine of center and um also she's been doing a lot of advocacy around this um street harassment Pre prevention act which is up before the dc council this month so just there, i i think um jessica's work is evidence of how we've been examining um the violence that would otherwise, I think, get attached to something like fascism, which not everybody understands, and mm -hmm. trying to show how structural violence is something that exists around us and that we participate in every day in a number of interlocking forms. And so um, we're really excited that she's translated her work into our messy art space. <laughs> uh, <especially laughs> shout out, like, here's some of the other forms it goes to. Um, that's, uh, well, I was gonna yeah. say, um, I, I, I do think that's actually a really good place to segue from sort of yeah. like the abstract thing mechanisms that we're using to connect people to the play to talk a little bit about the way that the play is uh facilitates that because mm -hmm. of the because of Frisch's work it like, is very conducive to that because that's the the actual work of the text mm -hmm. is in, a, in some ways to break down barriers that prevent you from identifying sources of issues um so uh, should probably summarize the play. 
uh, (laughs) as you can. Okay. Um, So the arsonist, uh, we basically follow a a local uh, entrepreneur uh, named, in our production, George Betterman, played by uh, our artistic director, Howard Shalwitz, who, um, well, just to back up a little bit, um, uh, the the play is set in a town that is beset by uh, a series of, of arson fires that uh, no one seems to have any sort of, of control over. And a uh, citizen, um, uh, George Betterman, uh, lets in, is visited uh, one night by um, a, a man named uh, Smith who says he is homeless. He, uh, he arrives at his, at his door and um, basically um, allow, you know, uh, gets Betterman to um, provide him a, a, a place to stay um, in his attic. And then uh, the, uh, the, the next night, um, another associate of Smith shows up uh, um, in our production. Uh, her, na- uh, her name is uh, um, Billy Irons, and she brings with her a, seri- a set of, of oil drums that they store in the attic. And as it becomes the more and more evident that the Bettermans are hosting a pair of arsonists, um, the question comes up of um, how did this happen? What can we do to stop it? And um, uh, you know, what do we, and the questions that the play I think brings up is, what do you do when you see like disaster is you know coming at you when it's all in front of you, and what what is it in human nature that stops us from from taking action? Um, I think that's one of the core questions of the play that keeps getting um, asked and posed to the audience. You know. Um, throughout yeah. the piece, uh, mainly by a chorus of firefighters who <laughs> are um, looking at all of this in, um, you know, and unable to actually, uh, you know, st- kind of stop the, you know, the flames from happening. So, uh, have you all gotten? Mm-hmm. So we're since we're mm-hmm. in previews mm-hmm. and we've gotten through the show a couple mm-hmm. times. <laughs> have you all had a chance to see this production yet? Oh, I've been seeing it every night. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, I, I'm curious. I am curious about. Oh man. I, I I love the play, so I am not. I don't have a rational place to like mm-hmm. completely enter into that. Um, but I love how it starts. Um, eventually, you get to the point w- where Betterman has allowed himself to think this thought: Have I allowed some arsonson? But what prevents him from thinking that thought is mm-hmm. is really what the play to me mm-hmm. to me that that what Frisch is really trying to get at is the like the roadblocks in his brain that the arsonists specifically play on like mm-hmm. it's it's not an accident they don't force their way in they trick him into the blind spots where he just can't where he won't let himself think things. And then these blind spots, when, as we're watching it, we're like, to me, this is what happens when I read the play, and this is what happens when I see the play, is that mm-hmm. the, rev- watching the character frustratingly remain in a blind spot starts to expand on, like, oh, why can't he see that? Oh, oh, what the, this is, and this is more about, this isn't just about arson, this isn't just about class, this mm-hmm. is there, and just the way that, like, in society, we see these blind spots play out in politics repeatedly. In the in discourse, and the play is just and the p- 
inviting you to see the walls it doesn't necessarily help you I, I think Frisch ultimately is, is it's, I mean, it ends on woe unto us. I think mm -hmm. Frisch, has, uh, having survived the Second World War, like he, he is ultimately kind of like down on the idea. But at least he, his work is trying. You see the wall; he can't break them down. Mm -hmm. He's like the, he he likens himself to the to the chorus. Like they can't intervene, but they are shouting, mm -hmm. "Hey, by the way, you know there's gasoline in your attic. You mm -hmm. know that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you not know that?" Uh, and I'm curious. I. I read this play a bunch of times before I saw it, so I never had I never had the humanization of a of a person speaking the lines, and I never, ever had any sympathy for Betterman. I'm curious w whether any of you did, or how do you react to his character first? <laughs> One thing that I think is interesting is thinking about. Um, Betterman as having these blind spots versus what I actually read as like willful ignorance, mm -hmm. at least in this production. Um, and, you know, because of that, I, I, I see Betterman's everywhere, <laughs> right? Um, even if you want to draw a comparison uh, one comparison I, I enjoy perhaps too much is <laughs> is you know Facebook activism ah. right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you think about all the folks who pass around all of the articles about all of the injustices and put their angry emojis up right um, because they're good liberals but at the same time there's actually like when it comes down to it like what are what actionable action what actionable actions <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. what what are what are the actions what are the on on the ground interventions that you are engaged in mm -hmm. and i and i i see that in betterman who all the time and everywhere folks who want to be good want to demonstrate that they are better, um, but at the same time are, 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 are living in perhaps the privilege that allows them to, to uh, remain in a state of inaction. Well, I think um, just building from that and <laughs> in my own read, you know, the and so much of this play is the bitter irony that striving to be good mm. indicates jack shit mm. about um, goodness because in fact goodness isn't the question or the problem mm. um, it's it's how we address badness and problems it, it's this incredible liberal policing that happens around negativity um, I in a f former work environment was constantly criticized for being negative when I was just giving feedback and I found it amazing because I was like wow do you think all feedback is negative but it's this sense there's even a line in the play that like believing that um, being good comes from being good natured mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, you know I, I think what's often when I see people wrestling with what it means to take action or internalize their values they um, always are looking outwards instead of thinking about how important it is to implicate yourself, mm -hmm. to allow yourself to be 
tarnished by the thing that you find ugly like be associated like fucking acknowledge where you are in the in the context of, mm. of things that are heinous so that you are it, it is personalized um, and then the actions you take are more directed and specific it's so hard to give abstract advice because combination of like identities and positioning and ability like you're we can't give each other broad space advice but you can figure out for your fucking self <laughs> mm -hmm. and just that was my same read with Betterman is mm -hmm. like this um, exhaustion with this person who is waiting for everyone else to do their labor mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and in fact we the audience are now like idolizing this man who I, I can only ever see as a white upper middle class man um, and we are fucking doing his labor and he fucking drops the ball <laughs> you know yeah. And it, that, yeah, I, I, um, <laughs> and and that, you know, it was it's it's challenging, <laughs> just it's challenging watching it. It's yeah. challenging reading yeah. it. Yes, know thine own social location. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And take action. <laughs> Do your homework. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm just just to add on to what Kristen and and, and Lauren Ellen are saying. I. I find it enormously uncomfortable uh, reading this play and then and then watching it and see. I mean, and I'm speaking for my own way into it, not necessarily the uh, the production. But um, I see a lot of myself in Betterman, mm. just from. Uh, and I've definitely I've been in the place where you know you see you see the you know something coming, you see a conflict that has to be dealt with, and then for some reason just you cannot take action for either because you don't want to make a situation awkward or uncomfortable and I think a lot of the, in the beginning stages of the play you know that's definitely the I think a tactic of the Bettermans is well we don't want to offend anyone we don't want to appear a certain way and you know so there's this issue of of social propriety and as you know um as I think Lauren Elm was was kind of alluding to there's there's also yes the sense of the that kind of larger global sense of everything happening around us. I, I for one, feel like so, like kind of caught in this in this maelstrom of everything, you know, of, of events right now. And this, this like sense of like of, uh, of freezing and just of, of paralysis. Um, and so I have a yeah, I, I have like enormous uh, I feel enormous kind of um, frustration, but I also feel deeply like on a kind of psychological level, like, um, you know, why like you know he cannot do the thing of like of taking action um which is not to excuse any of us right. for not <laughs> stepping up and i think yeah. that is kind of that the, sh the play shows you ultimately this is the consequences of what happens when we let others do the work for us mm -hmm. when we think it's going to just be okay by just sweeping it under the carpet and and not doing the hard thing mm -hmm. well and the um i love the way in which frisch intensifies and magnifies this over the course mm -hmm. of the play and not just through the audacity of the arsonists as they become <laughs> more and more mm -hmm. obvious the oil drum scene is a really hilarious scene when he discovers that they're in his attic um, because mm -hmm. you see the mental gymnastics that he has to use because mm -hmm. they basically admit to it mm -hmm. but he's like mm -hmm. but no that's impossible that, that could never happen in my attic that doesn't make any sense um, because the play opens with that like little bit of social engineering like he they, he was witnessed in his like full middle class like I can fix the world know-it-allness <laughs> in public and they knew that they could take advantage of the of the mindset that 
that was operating there. And so they just they hammer it almost perfectly, no perfect these two. Mm-hmm. Um, to to me, it, I, I I've always read it as um, every time that there it feels like a misstep that they that they are doing this precisely that they have that this is none of this is an accident as messy as it seems mm-hmm. and as much of a push pull as it is between better men and them. I to me they're like they. They're, they're playing chess and they're 10 mm. steps ahead. They knew he was going to go there, so they're already cutting off the, th- like the three steps that he thinks going to happen because, because of his aversion to conflict. Like one of, the s- mm-hmm. one of the strategies they do is to not be, they, when he seeks the conflict out, they remove the conflict. So he's like, I'm gonna throw them out because they're rude. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. nope, we'll do what you say. We're, and they're not rude and then all of a sudden they find it's Bugs Bunny and mm-hmm. he's like <laughs> Elmer Fudd has handed Bugs Bunny the shotgun <laughs> um, and that just intensifies in his um, in his um, interactions with the chorus as well mm-hmm. um, when they finally able to sort of like directly confront him uh, which is one of Frisch's like his, his theater pieces are always full of these abstractions mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. from it which is one of the reasons I think they're so timely is that there's very little that's that's cited specifically in one cultural milieu. Mm-hmm. He's talking about gesture, essentially, and social gestures mm-hmm. and things that are very common um, mm. within societal structure. So he's like, you could, anyone could do this play, and you would find what it was about in your own mm-hmm. brains that were preventing you. And uh, but I was find this really interesting dealing with the arsonists themselves. Um, I mean, our mom, our moment, and Frisch's original moment it was just definitely dealing very particularly with fascism um and he and very many german authors frisch is swiss but like german Mm -hmm. speaking Mm -hmm. audiences at this time because these plays were very popular um but like gunter grass and heinrich bull and all of these people are dealing with um which will eventually lead to 1968 and this youth uprising is like you guys want to pretend that denazification means that none of that stuff ever happened and you weren't part of it but you're wrong. Like, the Nazis, yeah, that's fine. They were Nazis. But that happened because of all of the groundwork that you have been doing for them for years in your own heads that you still aren't paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So to, so the arsonists are in this weird place. Like, I don't think the arsonists are fascists themselves. They're kind of, well, Billy, or mm-hmm. Billy um, definitely isn't. Mm-hmm. She's definitely more of an anarchist <laughs> than fascist but they're I don't know how I'm, I'm very curious about your reactions to that because I go back and forth in my sympathies for them obviously I don't want to watch the world burn but their diagnosis of what's wrong with the world is pretty accurate most of the time <laughs> um, so I don't know like how, how did you react to, the, to, to their to them as figures and to like to being right while also being like horribly wrong <laughs> at the same time I don't know We took oh. this. Oh, okay. we're all gonna okay. Okay. I'm it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny. I also um, uh, go back and forth between um, uh, identifying or not with the arsonists. I it's we ha- when we we did a uh, a workshop in June where. Uh, uh, it was surprising coming out of it in, in, in our postmorteming that a lot of folks were actually found themselves identifying uh, actually with the arsonists and this this desire to kind of just it's the system 
that's flawed and we just need to burn it all down. And also this need too to kind of just be like, look, look what is happening to us right now. Um, and the only way that, you know, that anything is going to change is through this kind mm -hmm. of dramatic action. Um, so, yeah, I, I also, I, I'm, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure if I'm actually answering questions. <laughs> I, I also think too, um, one of my ways into seeing uh, this play as well is, I, um, I also wonder if part of what keeps, what, I mean, Betterman from also, uh, you know, when he sees those, that, you know, that gasoline in the attic, it's, you know, somewhat he can't actually believe in his, his eyes because this does not fit into his world, like in, into, you know, his, uh, his, his conception of the world and what people do. And I think a lot of that is, I see a lot in this too, of this kind of these two sides, like looking at each other and, and not being able to kind of, part of the problem being not being able to kind of understand each other's kind of, um, or believe that that, that that belief or that action actually, you know, could exist in the world. Um, even when they're telling you truthfully, like, um, th there's gasoline here, like, I'm, you know, like, or every, or like, you know, just in, in terms, like in light of like, you know, what's happened this summer, every single action I am taking is telling you that I'm a white supremacist and you're still not believing it. Mm -hmm. So. That's a great line mm -hmm. in the play. Mm -hmm. um, the, there are three, there are three mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. we, we get people to do this humor, mm -hmm. sentimentality, which is like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. we, we should at some point talk about sentimentality's <laughs> role yeah. in all of this, but also, but telling the truth. And the naked truth, which no one believes. Which no one believes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and those tactics match. There, there's been some really interesting studies, um, I mean, just while we're talking mm -hmm. about uh, white supremacists in the United States in 2017 and the alt-right, I think that's the appropriate title, <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on how the alt-right recruits. Mm. And um, it's often through a combination of tactics that includes humor, sentimentality, and direct truth. Um, humor and sentimentality are usually fed through um, uh, misogyny. So mm -hmm. folks who are looking for recruits uh, go onto message boards where they see um, particularly young white men um, bashing women or expressing frustration at their ability to meet people and that's like the social ground and they literally move you along a chain of engagement towards identifying that it's not just that you're a man and that you deserve certain access to, to people and sex in the world it's that you're a white man and you deserve so much more and it's really fascinating it actually until 2016 um, there hadn't been sociological studies of um, white extremists i mean there have been some about the, the kkk but there there are many different white supremacist groups in the united states many different fascist white nationalist groups in the united states um and they've been absolutely understudied and underfunded and so there's a few studies that have come to light in the last year that are looking more tactically and strategically mm. at like how how do the how you know nothing things grow mm. <laughs> just like yeah. up here out of fucking nowhere right. so it was interesting um in thinking about for that workshop mm. week uh, how we are going to have a conversation about um, both both this present experience of fascism and, and our noticing of fascism. Again, it's been mm -hmm. around. Um, and some of the historical tendencies, and I was just in doing research, finding um, more and more scholars and, and how tied it is, I think, to, to misogyny and identity. And I think mm -hmm. that's um, an interesting thing that, that this is like a, 
this garden bath's like kind of winding its way back to the arsonist, but (laughs) in having the arsonist played by a white woman and a Mm. white man, I think there's a really interesting dynamic, both in exploring white women's complicity Mm -hmm. um, and participation uh, in movements that we often recognize as as just led by white men in terms of white supremacy, um, but also at the very whack gender dynamics in the play. I mean, Mm -hmm. even without this particular US lens of, of fascism, um, Betterment is constantly gaslighting and belittling and controlling the women in that play, and so are the arsonists. But it, it's extra fascinating um, and harmful. It's, it mm-hmm. sucks to watch um, having a woman participate in that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the conversations that we do have planned during the run of the show is uh, a revisiting of uh, of uh, 2016 election. Wait, yes, 2016. <laughs> we long. are. It's it has been long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and thinking and thinking about um, thinking about the relationship to fascism, um, and thinking about like what is both uh, ordinary mm. and extraordinary about uh, this particular moment. Uh, and and thinking about these things as a continuum, uh, as opposed to um, uh, exceptional events, mm-hmm. and thinking critically about like how we get to this place and how it's systematically uh, it's a systematic build over time. Mm-hmm. So. Another thing that we're excited about, plug, <laughs> come to our, go to Wooly's website for all the related events to the show. And I just want to backtrack a second to say I don't identify with fascists. I know, no, 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 of course. But I'm just like, because it's a podcast, you know, um, I think it was also from like, <laughs> um, I think it was also the extremism too that like, um, I think was, was coming up as well. And this one thing that I took away from that workshop that we had too was this this greater sense that this is all a system that we are all caught up in. And I I thought one of the most um, like really profound days for me was when we uh, took a tour of Shaw um, with One DC. And we're just shown like all the like, you know, um, effects of, you know, the on that neighborhood of like gentrification and just having this like realization and I think the play really also dives into this too of the fact that it's like um, the impact that our that our actions have um, in the community on our neighbors that we're all like you know caught up in this together we helped create the arsonists Hmm. and you know and there's equal there's frustration with like the closed-minded like um, you know and you know like putting their head under the covers, you know, capitalists, you know, of the bettermans, and then there's, and also complete, like, horror at, you know, what the arsonists are, are doing, so. Well, I, I think there's, there's two, (laughs) I appreciate that, but also, I, I know that, um, the neighborhood tour, I think, Mm -hmm. also, which, so, WNDC is a, um, community organization, um, of low and moderate income, um, long-term DC residents and folks who were displaced from um, long-term neighborhoods and in addition to 
giving like a, a very real, you're right there in front of the building's mm-hmm. history of, of change in the neighborhood. It, it also tells the history of, re- of mm-hmm. resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, many stories that are not, that are like only a few years old, right? But you, it's, you'd be hard pressed to find evidence. Um, and also they, they unpack the ways in which the city has kind of thrown policies to fix things, but they haven't actually addressed the issues. And I just to kind of offer like one of the reasons why you might go through that and, mm-hmm. and identify um, I, th- I think that there is something uh, like v- beyond the fascist thing. If you're just looking at the the structure of this like status quo that is the Betterman's mm. and this like adherence to the like stability is the most important thing. I and especially if the stability makes me look like a good person, and then the ability of calling that mm. out. I think that's mm. it's just in in that frame. <laughs> yeah, I'm not comparing like when these no, yeah. no, no, no. I didn't yeah. hear the, I didn't yeah. hear you doing that at all. I don't think yeah. that needs to be said. But yes. I was just offering like I think yeah. you go through that and you're like. Oh man, I don't want to be in the status quo. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. no, I think that's yeah. the, I think that's tracks with your earlier point mm-hmm. that in order to affect change, you need to recognize the ways in which you are complicit, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. the, 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 both the systematic and the, the systemic and the personal reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's only by recognizing the systemic ones that you can make personal choices that that, that create change. But you're gonna you're gonna have those moments where you're like, I'm I didn't do that, but I definitely benefited from that. And how do I? Day to day, make make a series of choices that will just mm-hmm. be better mm-hmm. about that. Uh, so. Yeah, and and getting comfortable. I mean, like just riff- riffing on that also, and something that I see in Betterman, and um, something that I've heard a lot in like side conversations I've had with the actors and, and different um, folks here at Woolly is just the sense of like, and I, I I'm I'm saying this from an empathetic and a shared experience place, the feeling of of never being able to do enough, right? Mm-hmm. So so you try and see the horrors you're going beyond just the Facebook share and you're trying to internalize the work and you feel like every day you learn about something else and I know especially if I'm, I'm a first generation college student I went to public education um with public education you know like there's just so much that it's hard not to feel like like you've been fucking had you right. know yeah. and and so many people have been had in so many different ways and and that feeling of like you gotta process your own emotional shit. You're being bombarded by this complete other world than what you were coached and bribed into believing existed. And you have to react to the immediate moment. Um, and I think combating mm-hmm. that, that desire to shut down, um, like the willful ignorance mm-hmm. that Kristen was talking about, like when, when do, I often wonder um, when, I think in some communities, like narratives of self-care, like absolutely fucking do you. And particularly as I look at like, white communities and white women like when people conflate um, self-care with the avoidance of self-work you know Mm -hmm. like how are we thinking about sustaining that just like this comment about discomfort that Mm -hmm. Kirsten brought up Mm -hmm. it's just gonna be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and how do we help each other hold like it's hard it's more than you want it to be (laughs) and it's uncomfortable and I don't know if that means that you have to burn down the house (laughs) 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 but you might but um Yeah, it's just like helping each other. There's there's something that is not the arsonist and that is not Betterman and that is no one that you see in the play. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's one of the hard things watching it is being like, what mm-hmm. if I don't see myself in mm-hmm. anyone on stage? And then yeah. who am I? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, that's something that has actually come up in some of the community conversations that we've had thus far mm-hmm. is, is this desire to, like in, in a lot of ways, right, in theater and entertainment, we recognize like very specific archetypes 
and that's how melodrama functions. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> like, you know who the good guy is, you know who the bad guy is, you know who to identify with, you know who not to identify with. And part of what this play is doing is, like, there's a lot of ambiguity there. You can see yourself in multiple places at the same time. And it's asking people, how can you hold multiple truths mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the same time, right? So, huh. good luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the it's, it's gonna make a lot of sense when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid of being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. turn like, discomfort yeah. into, into inquiry. inquiry. <laughs> that sounds that. like a slogan. The arsonist, turn discomfort into inquiry. <laughs> I don't know how marketing will feel about that, but in this particular room, I feel like that's amazing. <laughs> um, well, we, we yes, yeah, it's true. This is absolutely true. Uh, one of the things that I love about theater and in general um, is how personal it makes it in front of you, so that it's harder to run from. Um, but yes, you guys are busy people, uh, and I do want to thank you very much for your time. This is another place to plug anything, if there's anything off the top of your brain. It could be Wooly related, it might not be. I don't know what you guys have going on. I think everybody has a lot of things going on, so if you'd like to plug it now, that's awesome. And I would. Well, the best place to go to find out about the different conversations that we're hosting around this play is Wooly's website. Um, Click on the arsonist, go to related events. I'm terrible at dates, so I'm not gonna <laughs> pretend. Um, but we have lots of amazing workshops coming up with our partners, including Collective Action for Safe Spaces. September 27th. <laughs> Keep going, I got it. 1DC. Oh man. Oh. October something, there's a panel, it's awesome. It's on class, check it out. Uh, the Sanctuaries. We don't have a date for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing me under the bus. I'm sorry. You've all. This will all be available on yeah. the blog post accompanying Keep the going. episode, so the show notes will reflect these dates as well as they become available. Boss. That's amazing. <laughs> but yes, please, we hope that you're able to come see the show and also engage in the conversation around it um, because that is part of the show. This is part of the experience. It's not just... Here at Woolly, we think of theater as as a place not just to see a play, but also to engage with the world around you, um, to engage with others, to learn more about yourself, to learn more about your theater buddy, to learn more mm -hmm. about maybe the stranger who's <laughs> sitting down the row. Um, and uh, we hope that you are interested in having some of the complicated, challenging, provocative, conversations that we are any other plugs and if you're a theater geek who would like to engage in an exercise we actually get to freeze the scene and explore what you would do as is done in theater of the oppressed games we're gonna have elena velasco mm -hmm. um, doing a workshop with us on september 30th so check that out she's artistic director of convergence theater here in dc fabulous theater practitioner wonderful human Doing all the things. Mm -hmm. Basically, just move into Wooly for the next month. <laughs> Related In, events. Yeah. Turn discomfort into your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's, 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 the end. that's as good as yeah. <laughs>